what it means for their likeness to be appropriated in, in this manner. Uh, and this is not just a. I think that, that that the video game is particularly egregious. But keep in mind that that this is all a fig leaf. I mean, the University of Florida, for instance, we're, we're playing with Tim Tebow because he's the most famous college football player. If you go to the University of Florida's website and type in Tim Tebow jersey, the number fifteen Florida Gator jersey comes up. Uh, it just doesn't have his name on the back. This is Lawyer to Lawyer, the award-winning legal podcast with J. Craig Williams and Robert Ambrogi. West Coast meets East Coast, and yes, they are attorneys, bringing you the latest legal news and observations every week with the leading experts in the legal profession. Lawyer to Lawyer is sponsored by Law.com, produced right here on the Legal Talk Network. Welcome to Lawyer to Lawyer on the Legal Talk Network. We're glad you could listen today. This is Bob Ambrogi coming to you from Massachusetts. Uh, my co-host, Jay Craig Williams, was called away on a client emergency and is not going to be able to be with us today, the, the perils of legal podcasting. Uh, a reminder that today's show is sponsored by Clio and by Landy Insurance. Uh, well, uh, this month, uh, former Nebraska quarterback Sam Keller filed a class action lawsuit against the uh, video game maker EA Sports, and also against the NCAA, claiming that they illegally used the likenesses of college athletes in video games uh, without sharing profits. Uh, the NCAA has issued a statement saying that because no pictures or names of actual student athletes are used in the uh, EA Sports games, uh, it expects the suit to be dismissed. Uh, today on Lawyer to Lawyer, we're going to talk a little more about the legal issues behind this lawsuit uh, and what athletes need to do to protect their images commercially. To help us do that, we have two guests uh, who are highly knowledgeable in this topic. Uh, joining us first today is Peter Goplerud. Dean and Professor of Law at Florida Coastal School of Law, where he teaches sports law. Goplerud has been a member of the Sports Lawyers Association Board of Directors since 1997. He's been a frequent lecturer and written numerous law review articles regarding sports law topics. He's a co-author of one of the leading sports law textbooks, now in its sixth edition, He's been a consultant in the sports law field, as well as providing service as an expert witness. Goplerud is involved in the representation of professional athletes in team and individual sports during the 1980s and 1990s. He also has experience with coaches' contracts, athlete eligibility issues, and collegiate athletic compliance matters. Welcome to Lawyer to Lawyer, Peter Goplerud. My pleasure to, uh, to join you today. And joining us next today is Clay Travis, uh, an attorney, uh, American sports journalist, writer, and the author of the uh, popular site ClayTravis.net. Uh, Travis, after getting his law degree from Vanderbilt University, uh, signed on with a Washington, D.C.-based law firm. His work took him to uh, St. Thomas in the U.S. Virgin Islands, where I also long ago uh, practiced law, uh, in uh, that which was a, a hub of financial activity for many of his Fortune 500 clients. He's 
continues to practice law, but he also has worked as a columnist for CBS Sportsline and editor at deadspin.com and currently writes for fanhouse.com. He's written two books, Dixieland Delight, uh, a bestseller on the on the Southern Conference, and a, a new book coming out later this summer on Rocky Top, a front row seat to the end of an era, which is due out uh, from HarperCollins on August 18th. So welcome to the program, Clay Travis. I appreciate y'all having me. Uh, well, we appreciate both of you being here. We should mention that we uh, reached out to EA Sports, to the NCAA, uh, and uh, also to uh, uh, Sam Keller's attorney, uh, inviting them to be on the show. Uh, uh, we we heard nothing back from EA and NCAA. Uh, Sam Keller's attorney uh, declined uh, because of the litigation that's going on to talk about it. So uh, let's let's talk about this lawsuit to begin with, and 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 then we can uh, go from there. But I wonder. Uh, uh, Peter, perhaps we could start with you, and, and uh, if you could give us an overview of, of, of your perspective on this suit and, and what's, at, what's at stake here. Well, I think that, that what is at stake uh, is uh, maybe uh, the, the very heart of, of the NCAA's day-to-day activities uh, to, to some extent. The uh, NCAA has, has uh, for, oh, I, I think it's safe to say the last two decades been rather schizophrenic in my, uh, in my opinion with regard to uh, its uh, drive to uh, increase its, its uh, financial uh, success, increase its brand uh, presence uh, within the sports industry. Uh, through its member institutions and, and uh, working working uh, with the various television networks, uh, and at the same time continuing to uh, try to live by uh, the the long time uh, standard of, of amateurism, and that the uh, uh, the world of intercollegiate athletics has to be an integral part of the uh, educational experience, and the uh, the prohibition on uh, athletes uh, in, in NCAA schools uh, taking advantage of their athletic success uh, commercially, uh, the prohibition specifically on uh, them allowing anybody to use their name or likeness for commercial benefit uh, is uh, is what's at issue here uh, in this uh, in this case, and and uh, you know is, is a an example, I think, of the NCAA uh, on the one hand attempting to look out for the athletes and, and control uh, all of the eligibility rules, and yet uh, here I think it's safe to say uh, taking undue advantage, indeed, uh, uh, the plaintiffs uh, contend uh, exploiting uh, the athletes. Well, Clay, let's bring you into this. I, I know that you wrote on fanhouse.com about this issue, uh, and and you really kind of pegged it as as kind of the huge issue in this case that, that perhaps isn't getting the attention it deserves. I and mean, what's your perspective on this? I think it goes right to uh, the foundation of what the NCAA exists to do, which is to keep these players from making money as amateurs off of their collegiate athletic status. Um, and, and to me, what a lot of people have overlooked, um, in, in the sports media in particular, is there's been a lot of focus on Sam Keller as an individual. Oh, why is Sam Keller, you know, this quarterback who played at Arizona State, this quarterback who played at Nebraska, didn't have an amazingly stellar 
college career, suddenly going after this game. And I think what that's avoided is it's, it's, it's truly a huge mess, potentially. I mean, the worst possible situation for the NCAA to be involved in. Uh, because really, their entire goal is to keep these guys from having their images exploited, from making, other, from making money off of their ability to play this sport. And if they've been selling the rights, and these are, in fact, likenesses that are, that are considered by a court, uh, by a jury, by a judge, depending on what form of uh, the litigation we're currently in, to be likenesses, then they violated the most sacrosanct of all NCAA rules, which to me, you know, sort of turns into the snake sort of metaphorically devouring its own tail. I mean, I think that's what's sort of been overlooked, and maybe that's because most people who are writing about this don't have the depth of legal knowledge to sort of look down the, the, the pipe and see what's going to come. Well, I agree. I agree with Clay uh, that that really Sam Sam Keller is almost incidental to this uh, yeah. uh, this litigation. My guess is, uh, although I, uh, you know hesitate to uh, uh, suggest this too much, but my guess is that there were uh, uh, probably an effort to uh, to find other plaintiffs, uh, and, and Sam Keller is the one that uh, uh, you know popped up uh, as being willing to do this, and it and it pretty much had to be somebody, I think. Who had just recently finished their playing career, whether it was uh, football or basketball, uh, wouldn't matter. But for a for a, an athlete with current eligibility uh, to take on this uh, uh, this challenge uh, is uh, uh, asking for quite a bit out of out of any collegiate athlete who still has to you know look their coach and their AD uh, in the uh, in the eye every day. Well, not to mention that. If it were a current player, this is really where I think it gets into the catch-22. If a current player were allowed to recover for the, uh, for the violation, then all of a sudden that current player's eligibility becomes an issue. And what I wrote about and what I think is sort of a way to take a step back and think about this is, imagine that Tim Tebow, who is number 15 for the Florida Gators, and for people who don't play these games, he would be identified as number 15 from the Florida Gators. He'd be the same height, same weight, would be an amazing football player, would be better than the other players on the games but wouldn't be named. Uh, he, physically, he would look roughly like he does. I mean, they're not a complete virtual representation. But if he uh, lended his likeness, it didn't include his name, but he lended everything that EA Sports did to another video game company that doesn't have the deal with NCAA, I don't think there's any doubt at all that he would be found to, to have violated the NCAA's amateurism rules. But if the NCAA allows every athlete to do it, all of a sudden it becomes okay, which is why I think it's kind of an untenable position for the NCAA to be in. Well, I think the, the, I, there's there's no question in my mind uh, with regard to the uh, uh, the likeness uh, uh, issue in terms of how uh, I just don't don't see how a uh, uh, a court or a jury uh, cannot find uh, that that these are uh, very recognizable uh, likenesses, uh, at least with regard to the superstar players, and and you know for anybody. At, at Nebraska or at Arizona State, uh, within that realm, they'll be able to to uh, to, to pick out that it's uh, uh, that it's Keller, yeah, uh, and, and or, I think or any other player. The other thing that's fascinating about it is, in terms of the millions of of games that EA Sports has sold, the reason that these things are so popular with fans is because they think that they can virtually play their current team. Uh, in other words, you know, if it's just random players who don't have any approximation or, or relationship to the team, then they could still sell you know, the Florida Gators. They could still sell the Colorado Buffaloes, whatever else. But it's just the team name, and it isn't actually any connection to the players. It's the player individually that are players individually associated with the game that make it popular. If they just had random 
you know, rough approximations of, of players that didn't exist, then no one would buy these things because it isn't actually wearing the jerseys that makes it entertaining. It's wearing the jerseys of the players that are currently playing for your team that make it entertaining. And I think that's why the lawsuit goes right to the crux because the players' likenesses, in my mind, is what actually lends value to the game. Well, and the EA makes it, uh, uh, as, uh, as, the, uh, as the plaintiffs point out and as uh, uh, a number of commentators have pointed out, EA makes it even easier by uh, designing the software so that, that uh, uh, these other uh, providers uh, like, uh, was it, GameRoster.com and, yep. and, and some others can, uh, can plug in uh, all of the details on each individual with the name and allow it then to be uploaded so that the name appears on the jerseys. Yeah, Clay. Clay, we yeah. have um, uh, on our website. We invite people to submit questions in advance of a program, and 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 one of them was was directed to you, Clay. Uh, <laughs> as a matter of uh, fact, I, I think it's it, it's from somebody else at, at Council on Call. Uh, but the 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 question was this: I'd like to hear from Clay if uh, when he was researching the Tennessee football book that he has coming out soon, if any of the players discussed this issue or had a complaint about it or if they were more enamored with the fact that they could play themselves in a video game. So, so what is, how, do the, uh, how do the collegiate players view all this? Well, that, that's really fascinating, because for the most part, they love it. Uh, but uh, I think, and in fact, they do play. And one of the things that, that's most fascinating about these games is EA has actually provided, and, and Tennessee is one of the schools that they'll do it, they provide instructional videos so the teams can learn their plays better by the kids have all grown up playing video games, so the quarterback can learn his routes and learn his decision-making process sometimes better if he sees it on a video game than he can by just looking at the actual play uh, on, the, uh, on, on, on the screen. So uh, they've actually worked, in, uh, you know, worked with them. The players, I think, love it. But I would take a step back and say the players don't really realize, I don't think, what it means for their likeness to be appropriated in, in this manner. Uh, and this is not just a. I think that, that that the video game is particularly egregious. But keep in mind that that this is all a fig leaf. I mean, the University of Florida, for instance, we're, we're playing with Tim Tebow because he's the most famous college football player. If you go to the University of Florida's website and type in Tim Tebow jersey, the number fifteen Florida Gator jersey comes up. Uh, it just doesn't have his name on the back. Yeah. So they're making an awful lot of money off these big name guys and. And, and the video game, I think, just makes it all the more apparent because it's every single player basically in Division One. But the, the players love it, and, and that's why, I mean, sort of we can talk about maybe what the remedy for this would be. Uh, I've wondered if, if, if they required the players to give a uh, sign-a-form, to give a waiver, to give away their, their ability to have the likeness appear in the video game, uh, how many of them would actually be willing to pull their name out uh, is probably pretty low because I think they like to actually play it. But that doesn't mean that they're not being um, you know, taken advantage of. And this is not just football, right? This is NCAA basketball as well. Correct. Exactly, and the lawsuit yeah. ties in both of them. Yep. Yeah. So, so what what is this lawsuit looking for in terms of a remedy, uh, Peter? What 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 might be the outcome of this? Well, um, I, I, I'm usually uh, pretty reluctant, and I think I'll continue that today to uh, uh, to predict it, the outcome. But certainly, uh, an outcome uh, could be that. Uh, uh, the NCAA has to uh, has to pay damages to the uh, uh, to the class of plaintiffs that uh, uh, w- that the uh, uh, that Keller and his attorney are seeking to uh, to get certified, uh, and th- and those damages could be could be pretty extensive. Uh, this is this is a case that that uh, has the potential to go on for a long time, I think, uh, and uh, another outcome uh, certainly could be. 
that the NCAA ultimately would have to uh, to change uh, some of its restrictions in this area and, and might ultimately be required to uh, uh, to do something along the lines of what Clay was suggesting, that, that uh, uh, the, the players uh, have to be specifically presented with uh, the opportunity to uh, uh, opt in or opt out, and along with that opting in, uh, some sort of uh, uh, ex- exception from the, uh, the otherwise present uh, prohibition against receiving income for, uh, for their athletic uh, uh, endeavors. Clay, anything to add to that? Yeah, I mean, I, I think, uh, you know, I'm not, as, I'm, I'm not an expert in any stretch of the imagination in class action lawsuits or uh, anything of that nature. But when I, when I read the complaint, I mean, I think that it's something that, that probably, if I had to guess, would, would get certified as a class action uh, case because I think it, it fits the criteria that's necessary. And I think reading the complaint that it gets past the motion to dismiss, typically you'd then move into an area where both sides would, would sit down and settle um, I think this, what's fascinating about this is the NCAA in agreeing to settle would be violating their own prohibitions against paying players <laughs> for their for their likenesses. That's right. So uh, the NCAA, which investigates all these different colleges and universities and, and programs for violating rules of amateurism, which is probably the most fundamental thing that they investigate, would suddenly be in the process of, of, of violating their own rules. And, and, and this is 11 years worth of video games now. I mean, this goes back to 1998. Uh, they're not loath to, to invalidate. You can look up at Marcus Camby at UMass. I mean, it's, and the, the Fab Five, Chris Weber. If they find out that guys got paid for playing, then they, they strip all the titles. Uh, it, it's just a colossal mess for them, I think, uh, because I don't think they can settle in, in a jury trial. I mean, I think this is one of those things where a jury would look at this and say, my God, this is pretty basic. You know, these guys are definitely, uh, I think this is something that a jury could grasp. I, I think the plaintiffs have the most, much better argument. I don't think I'd ever want this to get to a jury. Yeah, as I understand it, there was a similar suit uh, from, brought by N- retired NFL players uh, against the league's player association, uh, and, I, and I don't have all the background on that, but I understand a jury awarded them some twenty-eight million dollars uh, last year. Uh, is that does that set any kind of precedent for this case? I mean, are, are the issues uh, related in any way? My take on that case is is that that uh, in terms of of uh, you know, appropriating uh, for commercial use uh, a right of publicity that that uh, uh, there's some useful uh, things to turn to there, but a, but a jury award really doesn't uh, uh, doesn't end up as legal precedent uh, typically. Uh, and in that case, in t- at least uh, from what I could could tell uh, from uh, talking with people involved in the case and, and following it. Uh, involved labor law issues uh, as much as uh, as as the uh, the right of publicity issues, and it was uh, kind of aimed at at uh, uh, the union's failure to uh, to carry out its responsibilities. Clay, you may have uh, some better insight than I do on that. No, I mean, I, I think just just taking a step back and sort of explaining what happened there was on on the EA video games. You were able to play not just with current players, which which have the licensing agreements with the NFLPA and whatnot. But also with with teams that have been in Super Bowl uh, Super Bowls in the past, uh, and they they did not feel they were being adequately compensated uh, for those games. Uh, and and I think maybe what jumps out most is just that a jury I think is very easily able to understand the equities of a case like this. This is not some complicated you know internecine dispute between two huge corporate behemoths that, that nobody can sort of get a handle on exactly what happened. 
uh, I think your average person who may or may not have played these games, but if they you know flash the Tim Tebow picture up on EA Sports and describe his stats and say that he's the best player on the game, and then they show the real team to Tim Tebow, I mean, I think it's something that, that's relatively easy to get to. And again, is why if it gets past, you know, typically this thing would settle. But I just really wonder whether the NCAA has to craft their own exception that says, you know, if the NCAA does it, then it's not a violation, which then turns into you know the ultimate and hypocritical act. I think. All right, we're gonna we're gonna take a short break right now. When we get when we come back, we're gonna talk more about this lawsuit and uh, what perhaps what athletes might need to know to protect their themselves. Imagine how much easier managing your practice would be if your practice management software was web based. Your practice would be available anywhere you have an internet connection, completely secure backed up continuously, and most importantly, easy to use, allowing you to spend your valuable time building your practice instead of managing technology. Start simplifying your practice today with Clio. Sign up for a free, fully functional 30-day trial at www.goclio.com. Use promotional code L2L for a 25% discount. Right from the beginning, you know, I knew I was important. Can you say that about the insurance agency helping to protect your legal practice? Lawyers like Rebecca Brody are confident working with the Herbert H. Landy Insurance Agency, knowing they have the best professional liability insurance coverage for the best possible price. It is about customer service. I think that's what we like to promote in our business. You know, we did have some kind of specialty questions. We did have some concerns. It was really great, and it really felt like if I'm that well taken care of it, it made it possible for me to go and take care of, you know, take care of my business and take care of my clients. Give us a call at 800-336-5422 or visit our website at landy.com. That's L-A-N-D-Y dot com. 60 years of experience. Welcome back to Lawyer to Lawyer on the Legal Talk Network. This is Bob Ambrogi. Uh, Jay Craig Williams uh, has the day off to attend to Client Matters. Uh, we'd like to welcome back Peter Goplerud, Dean and Professor of Law at Florida Coastal School of Law, and Clay Travis, attorney, uh, journalist, and editor at deadspin.com, writer at fanhouse.com. Uh, Peter and Clay, let me ask you, where where are the colleges in all this? Are, are they complacent in this in any way, and, and what's their position on this? Oh, okay. I think that's a great question. I mean, I think the colleges uh, have just basically acceded their rights to the NCAA, and and since the NCAA is the rules arbiter of college, if the it, it's almost been like if the NCAA says it's okay, then it is okay. Uh, like we talked about earlier, I think we're headed towards an, an arena where the colleges will have to be more active and have to provide players the opportunity to pull themselves out of a game if they so choose. And there's precedent for that. I mean, for professional athletes, people may or may not remember, Michael Jordan pulled himself out of, for instance, the uh, the NBA's uh, player's arm and what wouldn't appear in NBA video games that were licensed. I think a few other players have done that in the past because they have their own private deals with other other places. And when they did that, they, they just put in the number. You know, I think Michael Jordan was number 45. Everybody knew who he was, but he just wasn't in the game. Uh, I think players would probably have to do the same thing. Now, the wrinkle is if you actually – aren't being named and you pull your player name out. I mean, does that mean that if somebody like Tim Tebow decided that he didn't want to be in the game, that, that, that Florida would just have to completely invent a quarterback that EA would? I mean, I don't know. I mean, I think it sort of raises some really fascinating questions. Well, in the, in the, in the colleges uh, certainly do have uh, some monetary interest in, uh, in how this all proceeds. 
uh, particularly the uh, uh, the high profile BCS schools, uh, you know, are receiving uh, some some pretty pretty significant royalties, and even the uh, uh, the lesser known schools uh, have been uh, have been doing okay, not only from the uh, from the jersey sales, which have have been uh, uh, really good items for a lot of schools for for probably twenty twenty five years at this point. Uh, but numbers that I've seen from uh, Iowa State University, for example, uh, they've they've been averaging just from the video games uh, over the last couple of years seventeen thousand per year uh, in royalties, and their you know six figure numbers uh, uh, being quoted out there for uh, uh, for the more high profile schools. Not to mention what a great advertisement it is. I mean, they make an awful lot of money. I mean, one of the big things to get recruits to come is that uh, you know you get you get all the attention on the video game as well. Yeah. Yeah, Peter, I I know that our the clock is running uh, on your time here and I and I I wonder uh uh before you leave us if if you want to uh kind of give us uh, your thoughts if you have any on on whether student athletes should be doing anything uh or whether the colleges should be doing anything to protect student athletes, whether they should be doing anything to protect themselves or whether the colleges should be intervening in some way here. Well, I think that, that with regard to th- to this particular aspect, the, the overall uh, amateurism and, and commercial uh, issues w- with regard to the NCAA, that that for years now, the athletes in the revenue-producing sports uh, have, uh, uh, you know, well, well, they certainly have, excuse me, received great benefits, uh, arguably, from in terms of preparation for. Uh, you know, professional careers in, in the uh, uh, you know in the in the rare instances where that is an option, as well as as other educational and just general uh, life experience uh, things that that all athletes get. But in the revenue producing sports, uh, they've been used uh, to uh, to a great extent, and I think that uh, the NCAA uh, says a lot of uh, says and does a lot of things that are that are very very good, very well meaning. But they don't always deliver, and they don't always uh, speak with consistency. And I think, as, as uh, we've talked about here, uh, this is a, uh, a moment when the NCAA is uh, is really, I think, going to be uh, forced to to deal with a, uh, a major hypocrisy. Peter, I know we're running a little bit late, and I'm wondering if I could perhaps uh, uh, ask Clay to, to stay on with us for a couple more minutes. And, and uh, before you do that, I wonder if you want to... Uh, uh, let our listeners know uh, how they might be able to follow up with you if they care to do that or, or find out more about you. Well, uh, certainly I'd, I'd very much uh, invite them to, uh, to find out more about our law school, which is Florida Coastal School of Law. We're in Jacksonville, Florida, and we actually have a, uh, uh, a center for law and sports uh, here at the law school. And uh, right now I have about 100 of our students uh, uh, really focusing on the sports industry with uh, three of our uh, faculty members uh, heading up that program. Uh, our website is uh, uh, www.f as in Florida, c as in coastal, s as in school, and l as in law.edu, uh, fcsl.edu. And anybody that wants to contact me, uh, there's a link to, uh, to my email uh, on, the, uh, on the website. Well, Peter, let me uh, let me let you go. I really appreciate your being with us today. You know, it's been been my pleasure, and uh, I look forward to uh, uh, more discussion on this topic uh, down the road. Thank you very much, and Clay. Let me let me bring it back to you. And uh, 
we're we're as as we're we're getting near the end of the time on this. I mean, one of the things you you've written about is is the hypocrisy in the NCAA, even apart from this lawsuit. I mean, are there changes uh, that you would like to see in the way the NCAA is structured and the way it addresses the 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 issue of uh, amateurism? Well, that, that's a great question. Uh, the NCAA to me is is sort of fascinating. Um, because I think most fans view it as a traffic cop that just arbitrarily pulls over somebody every now and then and writes them a ticket. Uh, in other words, they're they're sort of they're, they're sort of policing a an arena that is that is much uh, much past what their ability to to actually police it is. Now, now the, that's sort of ironic because the NCAA gets their governing power from the, every institution, and then the institutions complain about the NCAA decisions, which is you know as if you and I just created our own little entity that that had unpopular opinions and then said, oh no no. You know that's 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 not, or if I did it, you know that's that's not Clay Travis's opinion. That's the Clay Travis Institute that believes that. Uh, so it it always is ironic when member members of the NCAA, which all of these schools and, and entities are, attack the NCAA for a decision that they make. Uh, they they've submitted to the governing power of that organization, and in fact, it exists because without them, it wouldn't. So it's it's just kind of an interesting dynamic. Uh, what I think it does draw to mind is that the NCAA. Uh, treats the individual institutions oftentimes, I think, as if they are hypocritical uh, and goes after them in a very aggressive manner for sometimes things that don't seem very substantial uh, in, in the grand scheme of things. And, and I think what this points to is that many of the NCAA rules are fig leaves. Uh, if, you, if you look behind the fig leaf, you know exactly what you're going to find. And, and it's, 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 it's just a joke the way that they argue that they're protecting the amateurism of athletes when sometimes in things like this, situations like these, uh, anybody with any kind of mind can see that they're blatantly profiting off the kids themselves. And I think that really gets to the heart of the matter. The NCAA doesn't want anybody else to make any money off college, individual college athletes because the NCAA makes so much money off individual college athletes. Uh, well, that's all well and good, but don't pretend that you're you know, riding around on a high horse of supremacy when that is actual, the, re- the reason that you want the, these, these rules of amateurism to be enforced so aggressively is because it makes your product more valuable. Uh, and I think that's the ultimate irony of the NCAA. And that may be the uh, the final thought of this program as well. We're we're getting near the end of our time. Uh, I would like to give you an opportunity to let our listeners know how they can find out more about you, uh, and uh, maybe you'd like to just tell us briefly about your forthcoming book as well. Yeah, um, I write every day at FenHouse.com. People who watch around the horn know Jay Mariotti, Kevin Blackstone on ESPN. They regularly appear. Uh, I, I sort of focus on college sports and the intersection, uh, hopefully, of humor and law and everything else, just things that I think are sort of fascinating to, to write about. I'm fortunate to have that opportunity. Uh, and come August 18th, I spent uh, the year traveling with the University of Tennessee's football team, uh, and it turned into a, a fascinating year. Phil Fulmer, the head coach there of 16 years, was forced out. Uh, it was a different year than any of us anticipated, and I just turned in a 400-page manuscript, which will be out from HarperCollins uh, this fall, and so I'll be on the book tour, uh, which, which will be its own uh, interesting experience. And, and I like to hear from people. I, my email address is public, but it's clay.travis at gmail.com. Uh, but this NCAA lawsuit, things like that, the law, the intersection of sports, uh, very entertaining and interesting things that, that I like to, uh, to explore. So I'm always happy to hear from people with, uh, with ideas and things that they think would be worthy of a column. And, and I appreciate you all being willing to have me on. I've had a good time. Well, it's a pleasure, and you certainly picked either the wrong year or the right year, I guess, to follow Tennessee. But <laughs> no kidding. Uh, I really appreciate your time, and thanks for being with us. Uh, 
That about does it for today's Lawyer to Lawyer. I'd like to remind our listeners, as always, that they can find this show and uh, a full archive of all our past shows at LegalTalkNetwork.com. And, of course, in iTunes, in the uh, podcast library there. Thanks for listening. Thanks to both of our guests. And look forward to being back next week with another Lawyer to Lawyer. Thanks for listening to Lawyer to Lawyer with J. Craig Williams and Robert Ambrogi. Every week, a new legal topic that you won't want to miss. We hope you'll listen again and check out our other shows on the Legal Talk Network. Lawyer to Lawyer has been sponsored by Law.com. The Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast, your resource for the tips and tactical advice you need to grow your business. Plus, keep up with the news and commentary you crave to stay one step ahead. It's hosted by me, Guy Sakalakis. And me, Conrad Song. Every other week, we break down the issues holding back your marketing strategy and talk about the changes you need to be prepared for. Check out the Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube.